Welcome to our podcast, Carefully Examining the Text. And today's psalm is Psalm 102. And right off the bat, Psalm 102 strikes us as different in some ways. You notice it says in the heading, A prayer of the afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. There is no other psalm that tells us that this psalm is to be used in a specific type of situation in a person's life. No other psalm does that except Psalm 102. And you notice the heading doesn't mention David. It doesn't mention a group like the sons of Korah. It doesn't give any musical instruction What the heading says, a prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before God. The first two verses are an urgent cry for God to hear his prayer, to hear his prayer in his distress. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry Come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. The word prayer, which is used in the heading of Psalm 102, is used in its first verse. And he begs the Lord to hear his prayer, not to hide his face. Often the psalm, the psalmist begs God, do not hide your face from me. Psalm 13 verses 1 and 2 is an example of that. Oh, sometimes the psalmist asks, hide your face from my sin, Psalm 51, 9, but do not hide your face from me. God's face indicates his blessings in number 6, 24 through 26. Do not hide your face from me in the day of distress. Incline your ear to me when I call. Answer me quickly. In verses 3 through 11, the psalmist describes his circumstance, his situation that calls on God to urgently answer his cry. He describes the brevity of his life. He describes the pain of his life. Listen to these expressions in verses 3 and 4. My days have been consumed in smoke, and my bones have been scorched like a hearth. My heart has been smitten like grass and has withered away. These may indicate the brevity of his life, for he mentions his days in verse 3. In verse, uh, in verse 4, when he talks about withering like grass, that's used of the short-lived prosperity of the wicked in Psalm 37, 1 and 2. And it's used to describe the brevity of life of all people. In Psalm 90, in verses 3 through 6. So he may be describing the brevity of life. In verse 11, my days are like a lengthened shadow and I wither away like grass. But also, you notice in verses 3 to the first part of verse 4 that all of these expressions 
deal with heat. And so it may deal not only with the brevity of life, but with the pain of life. My days have been consumed in smoke. My bones have been scorched like a hearth. My heart has been smitten like grass and has withered away. And because of his brief and painful life, because of this, there are all kinds of physical effects this has upon him. For example, at the end of verse 4, indeed I forget to eat my bread. His pain is so great, he loses his appetite. In verse 5, because of the loudness of my groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. Have you ever been so sick that food lost its taste and you lost your desire for it and you grew thinner and thinner? If I've had those moments, they have been very temporary. But here the psalmist experiences this over a prolonged time. The brevity and pain of life have, it, have brought painful physical effects to him. And his bones cling to his flesh. Job spoke in similar ways in Job 19 in verse 20. You notice in verse 7 that he describes, or verse 9, excuse me, he describes his pain as so intense. He says, I have eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping. He has eaten ashes. Job in a time of mourning sat on an ash heap. Job 2 and verse 8. And you also see in time of mourning, people put ashes upon their head. 2 Samuel 13, verse 19, and Esther 4 and verse 1. But here the psalmist is pictured as eating ashes, and his drink is mingled with tears. Truly, a profound physical impact has come upon him because of the brevity and pain of his life. And he has found himself isolated, alone. In verses 6 and 7, I resemble a pelican of the wilderness. I have become like an owl of waste places. I lie awake. I have become like a lonely bird on the housetop. In this particular picture, he, the term pelican is translated in the New American Standard in verse 6. But this particular Hebrew word is used only five times in the Old Testament, this being one of them. It's used twice in the Pentateuch, in Deuteronomy 14 and Leviticus 11, to describe an unclean bird that they were not allowed to eat. And it's used in Isaiah 34.11 and Zephaniah 2.14 to talk about creatures who dwelt in waste places or places away from human habitation. It is a picture of his loneliness and isolation. A bird is often a picture of vulnerability in the Old Testament. And these birds and these creatures who dwell alone and the lonely bird on the housetop, all of these 
are pictures of the loneliness of the psalmist. The psalmist knows that life is brief and life is painful. It has profound physical results on his unwillingness or lack of desire to eat and growing thinner and thinner and his life being filled with pain. He is lonely, he is isolated, and his enemies talk about him all day long. Verse 8, my enemies have reproached me all day long. Those who deride me have used my name as a curse. His enemies mock him, they ridicule him continually, adding to the intensity of his pain. And yet, somehow, too, he knows that God's indignation is behind this. In verse 10, because of your indignation and your wrath, you have lifted me up and cast me away. So this presents a dismal picture. But verse 12 is going to change the scene. While the word I is emphatic in verse 11, I wither away like grass. In verse 12, the personal pronoun you is emphatic. But you, O Lord, abide forever. The answer to the brevity and painfulness of life that the psalmist experiences, the the answer to all these difficulties of life, which he describes in verses 3 through 11, is the eternity of God in verse 12. But you, O Lord. As a matter of fact, the eternity of God is going to be highlighted here in verse 12. In verses 24 through 27, this psalm is showing us that the answer to man's mortality is God's eternity. The you is also emphatic in verse 13. You will arise and have compassion on Zion. You notice in verses 3 through 11 that the problems seem very individual. He's talking about his pain and his suffering and what comes upon him. But yet in verses 12 through 22, he is speaking of the nation. You notice that Zion is mentioned in verse 13, in verse 16, and in verse 21. And he is begging God to have compassion on Zion, verse 13, and be gracious to her. Some have suggested that this may have been written after Babylonian captivity and the people are separated from the city of Jerusalem. And it is a prayer for God to relieve him in the midst of his pain and his distress, but also to come to the salvation of the whole nation and to bring the people back to Zion. One of the reasons that God is begged God, the psalmist pleads with God to have compassion upon Zion is because in verse 16, your servants find pleasure in her stones and feel pity for her dust. Your servants are brokenhearted to see the trouble that has befallen Zion. But if the Lord will restore Zion, if he will build her up, as verse 16 talks about. The nations will fear, in verse 15, 
and all the kings of the earth will see her glory, will see his glory. When the Lord brings his people to Zion, when this people who have been carried away into Babylonian captivity come back home and are restored to the city and rebuild Jerusalem, when God does this, it is proof that he is God. And it will provide testimony to the kings of the earth and to the nations of the world that the Lord indeed is God. And that God, in verse 17, has regarded the prayer of the destitute and not despised their prayer. The word prayer is the same word used in the heading. It's the same word used in verse 1. It's used twice in verse 17. And he prays that God will be good to Zion, and this will be a testimony to people who haven't even been born yet of the goodness and the compassion of God. In verse 18, this will be written for the generation to come, that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. For he looked down from his holy height, from heaven the Lord gazed upon the earth, to hear the groaning of the prisoner, to set free those who are doomed to die, that men may tell of the name of the Lord in Zion, and his praise in Jerusalem. When the people are gathered together and the kingdoms to serve the Lord. This will be written down, and what God did in building Zion will be written down. What God did in rescuing him from his distress will be written to serve as a cause for praise for generations yet to come, for people yet to be born. May I say, friend, that we fulfill this in reading these words of Psalm 102 and praising God because of them. For we see that God looks down from his holy height as transcendent as God is, looking from the perspective of heaven He looks down upon the earth and he sees the lowliest of men, those locked in prisons, and he hears their groaning. He sets free those who are doomed to die. The highest, God from the heights, looks down on the lowest and rescues them from their prison. This will be, in effect, what he does when he releases his people from Zion and brings them back home. And it will lead people to tell of the name of the Lord when all nations are gathered to serve him. So verses 3 through 11 describes his individual crisis. In verses 12 through 22, he's begging God. He's begging God to bring the people back to Zion and to build it up that all might see and fear. In verses 23 and 24, he's weakened my strength in the way, excuse me, he's weakened my strength in the way, he has shortened my days. I say, O my God, do not take me away in the midst of my days. Your years are throughout all generations. 
Now, again, verses 23 and 24 go back to the same kind of idea and ideas expressed in verses 3 through 11. He emphasizes his weakness, the brevity of his life, and he sees again as an answer to life's brevity the eternity of God, just as Psalm 90 stated so beautifully. Go back and listen. Read the psalm and listen to the podcast on that. In verse 25, Of old you have founded the earth, the heavens are the work of your hands, and they will perish. But you, that's emphatic, but you endure, and all of them will wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will not come to an end. He looks back to an eternity past in verse 25, and he sees God founding the heavens and the earth. He looks forward to an eternity future, and he sees the days that the heavens and earth will perish, but God will endure. The heavens and earth will grow old like a garment and be changed. But you, you will endure. God stretches from eternity in the past to eternity in the future. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And the answer to our brevity of life is in His eternity. In verse 27, you are the same and your years will not come to an end. The eternity of God is stressed in verse 12, verse 24, verse 25, 26, and 27. In verse 28, the children of your servants will continue and their descendants will be established before you. Psalm 102 is a beautiful psalm, often described as a penitential psalm because of verse 10. But there is no specific mention of his sins that led to his suffering or a confession of sin. But it's a beautiful psalm that Jesus fulfills. You may notice that Hebrews 1 verses 10 through 12 quotes the words of Psalm 102 verses 25 through 27 and applies them to Jesus. Hebrews 1 Verses 10 through 12, it shows us the full deity of Jesus. Jesus founded the earth and the heavens. They will perish, but he endures. It is possible as well that when Hebrews 13, 8 says Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, that that's a reference to verse 27 of Psalm 102, You are the same, and your years will come to an end. Now, understanding how Hebrews quotes these words and applies them to Jesus, it shows us that the answer to this particular prayer and the answer to this particular psalm was greater, perhaps, than anything the psalmist immediately imagined in that day and time, that his own experiences of weakness and suffering and the endurance of 
hatred from his enemies, that all these would be recapitulated when Jesus took flesh and came to this earth. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the sufferer in verses 3 through 11. But incredibly, he is also the God who created the heavens and the earth in verses 25 through 27. And Jesus can set the prisoner free who's doomed to die. In Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2, we read it's exactly what the Messiah is going to do. And Luke 4, verses 18 and 19, these verses are applied to Jesus. He hears the groaning of prisoners and sets free those who are doomed to die. Over and over, Christ sets free those who are locked in the prison of sin. And those of us who face death, every one of us, can find our answer in the eternity of God. Are you right with God? Have you surrendered to His will? Have you submitted to His message, obeying Him on His terms? In the New Testament, people did that by repenting and being baptized in the Christ. If you haven't, we beg you to do that. Because the answer to our brevity is in His eternity. Thank you for listening.